attempting to find that space where as I've let you go and you go out there when you come back that we celebrate that. Welcome to Hi Mom, Let's Talk. This is our mom and daughter podcast. I'm Ingrid. I'm the daughter. I live in New York. And I'm Vicki, the mom. I live in Los Angeles. We're figuring out life from opposite coasts, doing our best to cultivate a raw and transparent relationship that is also generous and safe. So mom, let's talk. Hi, Mom. Hello. Let's talk to Dad about Father's Day. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Hey. Yay. Dad's here. It's good to be here. Wow. That's it. That's the intro. That's the whole thing. Usually, it's just Mom and I on the podcast, but today we have Dad as well, who has been... Dad, you're a part of our conversations all the time because we're constantly referencing parenting and you and Mom always parent simultaneously, but I'm excited to hear from you in person today too. So thanks for being with us. Well, it's fun to be with you and you are one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> Not that you're biased or anything. Of course, I've been a champion, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes for a long time. Uh, also, if sometimes I walk out to your mom's studio and I see the door closed and she's on the microphone with you, then I realize, oh, don't disturb. And I, I run back. <laughs> Come back later. Exactly. Dad is a part of a lot of our Zoom sessions, whether you hear him or not, because after mom and I finish recording, especially recording in the morning, we'll often come inside and then I get to do Zoom breakfast with both mom and dad across the country, which has one of been my favorite, been one of my favorite traditions this year through COVID. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun morning routine, kind of a ritual that, you know, mom will come back to the kitchen from her studio carrying you on the laptop and I've got the coffee all made and then the three of us uh, stand around the kitchen island. Well, the two of us and you on a screen. Yeah, exactly. I can be carried anywhere. How we've uh, stayed connected uh, all year long. It's been great. Well, mom, you and I usually talk about something specifically related to this sort of like coming of age transition. We talk all the time about how there's parenting books out there up the wazoo for <laughs> babies. And... Yes, I've had many of those books up the wazoo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Preschoolers and even high schoolers and puberty. But no one really talks about what happens when you become a young adult. And so, Dad, I'm excited to hear some of your thoughts today, too. We thought we would just ask you to sort of walk us through... I don't know. Is that like a big question to be like, walk us through all 25 years of parenting me? <laughs> right. Well, after the dinosaurs. <laughs> right. Yeah. One at a time. You're exactly right. The parenting books we always had, even other older parents than us that we would look up to to say, what do you do when your kids are doing this? Or how do you think about that? There was only one timeline and it was get them to 18. Mm hmm. That was only ever the timeline. In fact, I remember sitting in early parenting kind of resources as a dad of young toddlers and um, thinking in chunks of five years. Okay, zero to five is this, five to 10 is this, and then above 10 is just kind of like whatever. And yeah. we were always told girls, you know, are easier at a younger age and harder at the older age when they're teens. Uh -huh. um, so as long as you kind of survive those teens, then then you'll be fine. So even then, I kind of always had this picture that 18 and launch, and then we're just kind of just done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is really accurate for so many people. And I even felt it from the daughter's side. I like remember a lot of people talking about, especially like friends of mine who had, who had like older siblings, you know, there was like such a, like write them off, like get them off to college, <laughs> like say goodbye kind of a deal. I don't know. Out they go. I don't know. Yeah. It is odd that it like didn't really occur to us, of course, that relationship continues. And it's very weird to navigate a relationship that has been very clearly parent and child that is now changing 
talking to like co-adults while you're still always going to be my dad. Well, exactly. And of course, like with you, we've never done this before, right? We've always said that at every yeah, age. Firstborn. You know? Yes. And I'm a firstborn as well. And, you know, I even remember, you know, my own experience going off to college was it was a big step in terms of being quite finite. Like I never really came back and visited my folks, you know, for long summers after that. I never uh, kind of came back and lived at home after that. You know, once I was up and out, I had moved on. And my first college was only less than an hour's drive away from my parents, but I still only went home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know. So, you know, we all have our points of reference, but that was kind of mine. And of course, you went off to college in Nashville. We live in Los Angeles. You know, I remember when you were looking at colleges and there was such a long list and we were working on how do we get this list a little more narrow. And one of the things that we talked about, I remember I had this idea. I said, hey, Ingrid, what if we look at cities that are direct flight cities? You know, will that help us eliminate some of these other kind of potential college choices for you? Yeah, the kind of more obscure ones. Yeah, just looking for any structure at all. And it did seem to help, you know, and even though Nashville is in the eastern uh, time zone from us, um, I always had this feeling in the back of my mind that whatever else happens, you know, within a half a day, I could go jump on a plane if I needed to and get a nonstop flight to Nashville. That brings up something really interesting that I think mom and I have talked about quite a bit. I don't want to like put it quite in the space of like helicopter parenting because that has like a very negative connotation. But we do talk a lot about like mama bear instincts and when those are helpful and when they go too far. We just did a gossip episode about that, about like when is it helpful to, you know, work work from those spaces and when do you really need to like let your child live their life and, and make some mistakes and get hurt and whatever. And that sounds similar to me, dad, even just in a comment like I could be there in a 24 hour like direct flight. That's such a like dad bear, like <laughs> protective moment. Can you and mom maybe brainstorm here a little bit? What were the like, I don't know, are there a few different things throughout my life that have been sort of like big moments or age groups or chunks of time when you looked at each other and said, we got to let her skin her knee here, help <laughs> hold, hold my hand so that I don't like jump in too soon with her hand. Like, I think the monumental moments that are monumental for every parent, like going off to kindergarten and having to leave you behind in the classroom. First day in the kindergarten, I was totally fine. I didn't have a problem with that at all. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> are you being sarcastic? <laughs> <laughs> staring at me Mom like... I was looking at him like you were crazy. <laughs> I made it I made it to the parking lot and then I burst into tears, you know, because <laughs> that was a big, scary moment, because up until that time, your life had just been our living room and then our backyard and then a, f- a few play dates and your preschool. But in leaving you with a room full of 22 other individual people and a teacher and, you know, how are you going to fend in that space? And she'll have to skin her knee. She'll have to, you know, deal with friend issues and we'll see how this all starts to go. Right. But a true to form for dad is what did you come home and do? You came home and made a homemade cake so that when Ingrid got home, all you had to do was frost it. Do you remember that? No, as a five year old, I don't remember that. (laughs) But that does make sense for dad. Yeah. Your your sister was a preschooler and we had the little yellow plastic table in the old kitchen. And we have pictures of you with the homemade cake. So you always find a way to celebrate big milestones. <laughs> yeah, today's, today's your sister's first official job. She's got a summer job she started today. And then I texted and said, hey, should we order some Indian food to celebrate dinner tonight? You know, <laughs> first it's all food related and I want some. Maybe that's actually a helpful trope of, I presume when you're watching me as your daughter, like embark on something new or scary, 
and there's like some level of I have to let go here. We we know that there's humans do not do well when things are just taken away. You have to fill a void somehow. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's actually a really helpful thing to say as a dad watching your daughter grow up, find an act, find an activity, find a celebration. Like you, you seem to have created activities for yourself that brought us into connection, even if that was like actually just adjacent to the actual milestone in my life. Yeah, I would say that for me, it's, it's attempting to find that space where as I've let you go and you go out there, when you come back, that we celebrate that and that you mm-hmm. feel like, oh, here's my cheer squad, you know, my, my yeah. folks have my back. You know, that was always, I think, probably the driving driving thing there, you know, to the idea of being in a nonstop flight city for college from us so that if something happened, I could be there in a day, right? You know, that's just, I think, a natural instinct to say, worst case scenario is if we get a phone call because our daughter's been in a car accident or, you know, something, what's happened, you know, right? Because she's in, could I be there? And it's just, I think we're never going to, never going to be able to shed that kind of a, a feeling. Right. The responsibility instinct kicks in when you become a parent. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. So then we're going to talk about coming of age. What was it like when those responsibilities instincts really started kicking in like post 18 in a way that 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 couldn't be so actionable for you? Well, I would actually dial it back a little earlier than that. You know, I I feel like I really, as I look back as a parent with you, I felt like I was in my element, zero to 10, Mm. you know, silly, fun dad, always uh, eager to do fun things together. You know, I had a a very high pressured career, um, you know, worked a lot of hours and traveled a lot. So, you know, I knew working in a Hollywood studio that I I couldn't regularly wouldn't be home for dinner, right? You know, and yet I knew that when we both knew that the family that eats together, right, uh, does better. So instead, we made a priority of uh, planned family breakfasts. And, you know, most a lot of families just get up and are out the door in two seconds in the morning. But we actually made a priority to have a full cooked sit down meal breakfast, you know, every morning together. It was the place where we could have that time to start the day, uh, prioritizing reading stories in the evening together instead of having a TV household, you know, so we cut, we cut the cord when you were two years old, you know, and we didn't really have evening TV in our house. Instead, you know, we read through, you know, all the Winnie the Pooh series and the Laura Ingalls Wilder series and, you know, all of those hours and hours and hours of just spent time together in the evenings, Uh, the, the Narnia series as we did long family road trips together. You know, so I felt like the themed birthday parties, you know, I oh, felt like man. all those years I was like in my element as the dad. Well, you came to it naturally because that's your background. You come from a toy background, content creation background, which you come to because you love it and because you're a kid at heart. So having kids in the household was very natural to you. Oh, it was, it was exactly. I loved it. Uh, where I was, where I really struggled but didn't realize I was struggling was in your tweens and teens years still thinking of you as that 10 year old or that 12 year old when you're 15 or 16 something like that Mm, yeah and i remember i was at a a, a retreat one weekend and um we were talking about how we talk to our families and it all kind of came clear to me that you must have been 15 or 16 at the time and i just it just came clear to me that weekend that i had been treating you like an 11 or 12 year old and how must how must that feel Mm. and when i got home i rehearsed what i was going to say in the car all the way home and then when i got home i called a family meeting that sunday night and said we have to talk you know i remember remember sitting around the table right you remember that conversation i do yeah, I do remember that conversation. And I do remember it feeling like surprising, very like validating. One of those things that 
again, like, I don't know any differently. You're my only dad. I've only done this once. But it was really powerful for you to sort of bring voice to those kinds of things that I hadn't thought of before. But I do also then remember feeling like, well, I'm glad that we've come to this realization, but we still don't really know where to go from here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. The path forward is not really any clearer, except I suppose that it's been like the, the fork in the road has been named. Right. Yeah. I felt like what I was trying to do at that point was to say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to try to stop swooping in and having these, you know, uh, pronouncements of what you should be doing. Mm. You know, <laughs> in, instead, when I yes. walk in, I'm going to just try to ask with hopefully a more openness and say, what are you doing? How's your life going? You know, how can I check in? Right. You know, and that is the the posture that continued is in my memory of of your first couple of years of college, you yeah. know, and expecting that you would establish a new culture for yourself and maybe some different values and different friends. And then when that started to happen, it felt threatening, you know, it felt scary. Mm. And I didn't really know what to do other than just to come into town on occasion and take you and your friends out to dinner, you know, and those are fun times. And I love to be the dad that says, hey, I'm here to take you and your roommates out to dinner for a college visit. But not knowing what what I could ask about or even having enough of a framework, you know, a relative framework to like you need icebreakers, even though you're your family, you haven't seen each other in a while, how do you get back into that level of, of deeper trust? You can't if you're just dropping in for a, a dad visit at the dorm, right? You know, so I think for I feel like a couple of years, even your visits home would be a flurry of family activity and we'd be doing Christmassy things or summer yep. you'd go off and do something, right? So there was, I think, a, what marks our relationship in your college years was I think that gap of not yet knowing how to operate in this new space right? while you're finding your voice and I'm not wanting to be the steamrolling dad I used to be. So instead, it was kind of a lot of hands off. Yeah. Mom and I have talked a lot about that too. This like, we've talked about a few like big fights we had through college where it was a lot of mom asking like prove this to me or help me build trust here and in hindsight realizing actually neither of us really knew who we were in a lot of ways and certainly I couldn't give any more answers because I didn't know who I was either so I think it's really powerful to hear you share some similar thoughts in this like college transition period about the fact that trust is built slowly and there's nothing but time to to like invest into building a trustworthy relationship as a young adult with your parents. But that's pretty tricky because that means that the years of time that it's going to take like can't be sped up. No, but what what I have learned uh, since then and what I kind of wish I could tell myself now from when you went off to college is just relax. <laughs> no decision is life-changing or life-threatening. These are all just moments in time. Stop judging in your mind and just, just enjoy. You know, I've just really learned to take things one day at a time. And I would say over the last couple of years and certainly in this, even this COVID year, you know, one thing I, I really feel like I have learned more than ever is that, you know, taking things one day at a time has never been less of a cliche. Right. That it's not just a phrase to to say to kind of avoid getting into the planning of something. In fact, it's the opposite. It's that I don't really know what I have tomorrow and thus just learn more about how to embrace right now. And if I had done that more in college, I think it would have been less about me worrying, oh, is she making the good choices? Are these the right friends? This is weird, you know, yeah. and, and just relax and enjoy it and just laugh, you know? I mean, I... I definitely want to like bring just bring voice to the the heart behind even those kinds of like I don't know if they I could call them like fearful thoughts in college or this like is she making all the right decisions because that seems to come from the protective dad 
center, same as like the mama bear center that we talk about all the time, which again, makes total sense when your age is one through 10. You absolutely need to be that that really guiding force in your daughter's life. I understand a lot more now like why the heart of that still makes sense. And I absolutely resonate with the truth as you're saying that in the grand scheme of things, a one day at a time approach is more beneficial for our relationship. You know, th- there's some basic, I think, kind of common parenting fears that, that, that I had as a dad for you in college. I, I know a lot of my other fellow parent friends with their kids in college also, mm-hmm. you know, live with. You went to a small college, you know, where a lot of times in small colleges, uh, as students get closer to graduating, there can be a rush toward maybe trying to find a spouse or a rush toward finding the first job versus the right job or deciding just to stay in this town versus go to a different town, like all of those kinds of things, you know? And so what I'm I'm trying to say is that, you know, at the time, I think I sometimes let the fears of those kind of questions override just letting go of that and enjoying who you were. Instead, I think I had this little bit of a check in my spirit sometimes about it. I would come home and share with your mom, but um, in right. hindsight, in places where it may have probably been part of my side of keeping that distance that we that we had to learn how to push past once you got out of school. Yeah, I think sometimes that kind of distance is a little bit inevitable. But the, the joy of the parent-child relationship is that the only way that it would go away is if you like really worked to make it go away, which means you can do the opposite, and we just keep being uh, tenacious in our relationships with each other and. So we keep having them. That's right. And, you know, um, I've been able to arrange either business trips or have just happen to have business career ch- trips or uh, jobs that were in the same cities you're living in. You know, and a part of that was by design. You know, when you took a school in Nashville, I joined the board of another school in Nashville. And, you know, you were at Trevecca and I was on the board of the film school at Belmont. And so convenient. I'm, I'm in yes, town every three months, right? And then I moved to New York. And it's not like you got the job in New Jersey because I moved to New York, but it was really great timing. <laughs> well, and, you know, I've been I'm in the business where I'm in New York City six to eight weeks a year all the time because of travel, right? You know, and so, yeah, the fact that you were in New York meant that we could have dinner every couple of months anyway. Yeah. Mom, I know you and I chat about these kinds of things all the time, but does anything come to mind with you of like, I don't know, something that really delights you about the way that you and dad have parented together or learned from in your eyes about fatherhood through motherhood in this like transition that we're going through now through into young adulthood? Well, I've always loved parenting together. I can't imagine having to parent by myself. That would be a very burdensome some wearisome job to very different um i i love to be a team player and bounce things off of people so the opportunity to have regular conversations about um how we see our child developing in relationship to herself in relationship to others in relationship to god we've always had those conversations since you were little and we enjoy having those conversations we'll make a date out of it (laughs) yeah and um think about you know what what where do, would we like to see our daughter develop and things like that? But it, def, you know, some of the most friction and tense and misunderstanding times in our relationship have come over different points of view or different emotional responses to what one of you is going through. And I think we have taught, you and I have talked about what Daddy and I have learned how to do and we still learn how to do, we have to practice it all the time because it's not, it's not like falling off a log. It is um, being kind of the bowl 
that holds the emotions of the other person while we have may have different emotions. Frequently, I feel angry about something and Rick feels sad about something or Rick feels angry about something and I feel sad (laughs) about about the same situation. So to differentiate and, and be compassionate towards each other and say, I recognize that you're feeling sad right now. You're probably also feeling a little anxious. I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling angry. (laughs) Usually there's like some anxiety or fear underlying some of those other feelings. Anger might be the loudest feeling, but there's other sadness that we're getting better at acknowledging in each other. Yeah. I mean, I would say probably the source of our biggest conflict and fights between each other is when we when we are reacting to something about parenting, like something with you or one of your sisters, and then we look at each other and then you're full of fear or anger or other emotions. And then you look at your spouse and they're not reacting like you are. And so, you know, it's easy to lash out and say, how come you're not doing this more or, you know, whatever. And so learning to really value that, you know, your mom may be having a different emotion than I am at this time. And and uh, you said bowl, right? Be a bowl for each other. I think of it as a, as a cup. Like if I hold my two hands up, <laughs> like I'm holding two cups, right? And my, my mine cup- is, Mine is bigger. Yeah, my cup, my <laughs> cup is holding this kind of an emotion and your cup is holding a different type of emotion, but we can value both of those. And and instead of kind of having this sense of, of blame or assignment w- a, a, mm-hmm. at each other, that's been a big learning process, you know, to kind of work through that together. It's been hard. I guess this goes without saying, but boy, do I have a lot of life to- <laughs> ahead of me it just has not occurred didn't occur to me of course the good thing is that you only take things one day at a time time. (laughs) you don't have to learn it all (laughs) it's like so different to think about obviously like i've only had like small dating relationships but they like any of those fights between each other is like very much just the two of you centric be very different to be having a fight with each other that actually where where actually neither of you are responsible for the behavior that you're mad at mm, mm-hmm. or reacting to, you know, for yeah, there to be this third person you say, yeah, you but care. that's your daughter who did that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, it's taken a long time. And it's, you know, like a process of gently uncurling and unwrapping our fingers and recognizing that we're not in control. Just like I used to do with you when you were an infant and you were upset about something, I'd say, uh, open your hands up, uncurl your fingers, open your hands up to God and give it up to God. We have to learn our own lesson that we taught other people. When, When something is happening in your life and it's not in either of our control and yet we're having very strong emotions, but they're not the same emotion, it's really hard to empathize because it it takes a great deal of prefrontal cortex and perspective taking (laughs) (laughs) to be able to say, wow, you're having this really strong emotion. I don't have that feeling at all right now. I have a completely different, very strong emotion, but it's not that emotion. And that is probably one of the most challenging things we face in our marriage, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, on a recurring basis, we're coming up on 28 years here in just a few weeks. Yeah, you are. Um, you know, and, and I do similar kind of talks with uh, young dads on a kind of a regular basis throughout the year with either, you know, webinar groups the past year or sometimes in person. And one of the things that comes up is, that I like to talk about is that there is really no substitute for talking it out that that, you know, um, 
we have to be willing to sit at the table and and recognize that this is going to take some doing to to understand how you're feeling and for me not to impose my feeling on you. And then if you're not feeling the way I'm feeling, I don't I shouldn't judge you for it, you know. Right. Um, right. Your mom is discerning about me. She knows me better than anybody. And so she'll sometimes be quicker than I prefer to point out how I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, I'll say, I think you're feeling angry about this. I'll say, I'm not feeling angry about this. <laughs> but now I am. <laughs> I, I wasn't before. Right. <laughs> and then she's she's patient to watch me kind of work through that. And I tend to be a verbal processor and I'll talk things through. And then, you know, some some moments of time later. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. Yep. I'm angry about this. You're, you're right. like, all right, you're right. <laughs> well, that is also something interesting that's been difficult because you are a verbal processor and I'm much more of an internal processor. And but you, when you verbally process, it's not the it's like a rough draft. It's not the finished product. And I know you well enough over all these years to know that if you were actually going to talk to the person that you're lamenting or fuming about, the language that would come out of your mouth would be so much more kind and gentle than the language that comes out of my mouth. So I've I've learned a little bit and I, I take it in stride and I try to remember that you have good intentions and everything. But it is hard to be the container of the verbal processing when in my mind I have a double filter going on. Don't say that out loud. Don't say that to one of our children. That's not a good thing <laughs> because I don't really need to do that, but I can't avoid it because I have to filter things through my mind. But that's not what you would say because you wouldn't say that out loud to our children. But it's hard for me because I... I'm the rough draft. Yeah, you're the first sounding board. It's a big job for each other. Dad, you and mom, actually, I would love to hear from both of you on this. You mentioned teaching parenting classes. You both teach parenting classes periodically, and I love hearing about them. I think all that is fascinating in general, but then it is always like a wonderful insight into the intentionality with which you've parented me and my sisters. But of course, most of the time, those parenting courses are for young moms and dads. Yeah, meaning parents with young children. Right? That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Parents with, like under 10 mostly. But usually, because that's usually the kind of couple that, or their dad or mom that signs up for something like that. That signs up, yeah. for, right. Mm -hmm. I did a talk with a group, a webinar group, that was like 45 people or so a couple of months ago. And I, you know, I would say, hey, I'll stay on at the end if anybody wants to kind of DM privately or something. And I had somebody stay on at the end who said, you know, my child is 19 years old, and I wish that I had heard some of this stuff, you know, 10 years ago, and now I feel it's too late. Well, so that is my question, is that for each, I think you'll probably both have slightly different answers, but probably in the same heart. Like, if you wanted to tell those moms and dads something, like give them some gold wisdom for this this next transition that they don't know is coming or don't see coming into adulthood, what would you tell them? And how would that be different from what you tell them at, when their kids are seven? I guess one of my first things that I would think about is, and this thinking of you transitioning to young adulthood is turning 18 doesn't mean that you know your voice. In fact, in many ways, it's just the start of a true individuation process where over the next four, five, six, seven years, ages 18 all the way up through 23, 24, 25, you're going to be finding your voice and finding your identity. And so, you know, you pick a metaphor, but, you know, launching in the little sailboat, we've been building all this time, finally out to the open water. <laughs> it takes a long time, right? You know, so if you carry that out, the open water and the, the, and the waves get even just a little choppy until that sailboat knows to drop its keel or to pull the jib in, it's just going to flounder all over the place and take on water. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, is it going to capsize? You know, and all right. these things. 
And so that little boat has to learn how to drop its keel or turn into the wave or pull the jib in when you need to or whatever to to really learn how to sail. And then eventually it will, right? You know, so not to panic and to just really get, I'm going back to that broken record, kind of uh, take things one day at a time, one, one window at a time. And I would say that I'm much better with your middle sister and then by far your youngest sister. So unfortunately, Ingrid. Be expected. <laughs> you were the brow that had bow that had to break all those waves. If I go back to that metaphor, your little sister said something to you guys over Christmas. She's like, "Well, I got the good mom and dad." Because oh my gosh, because <laughs> I can do anything. <laughs> Right. And they don't freak out. (laughs) Well, I do love that metaphor, though. I mean, you're right, like pick a metaphor. But what I love about that sentiment is that it it sort of in its nature walks this line of you can't stop parenting at 18, but also you don't. Like, don't expect them to be fully formed at 18. There's this like you might you you are still there as a parent, and yet, but if they if they don't feel fully formed, like don't freak out. Like there there's some sense of also of not feeling like you have to take their 18 year old self as the like foreboding person, like person that they're always going to be. Like all the fears that you have about them as an 18 year old doesn't mean that you're like their fate is sealed not for the all. rest of their life. And for me personally, and even in my career, you know, right around the time you were going off to college is when I started teaching at the undergrad college level in film schools. Yes. And then I continued to do that more at the kind of the seminar levels. I'll occasionally still do a master class. I no longer regularly teach because of time constraints. But for me, it, you know, and I would definitely say this, especially, you know, if there's an opportunity to do that, volunteering to teach, you know, the occasional college class for me, especially when I started to realize these students are my daughter's age really helped me find a way to uh, kind of value that they're still in a space of finding their voices. And even from a from a teaching standpoint, it was very life-giving, you know, and I definitely would 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 mark a difference between when I when I teach at the graduate level, you know, sure. graduate right. students are very different <laughs> talking to about, you know, the craft of filmmaking, whatever, versus undergrads who really, you know, are in that space of even just kind of figuring out who they are. So I would say, like, keep a, it's OK to let go of the freak out quotient, you know, right. As a parent. Mm. Mama, how about you? What, did, what were you thinking about? What would you tell moms and dads? Of older kids, I would say stay curious, become more curious without being interrogating. And that is an art. (laughs) That's more than one conversation because to be curious without being interrogating is very challenging. But definitely it's something for parents to consider. Uh, Resist sarcasm (laughs) because you are impressionable and um, the abrupt sarcastic remark, because I've been through that before, it's not usually edifying or helpful to you. And and ask permission to share stories or point of view and say, I have perspective there. Are you willing to hear it? Which is not typically what you do with a smaller child. You, your, your child is more naturally curious and more naturally comes to you with questions. So, But teenagers stop asking their parents questions quite, mu- quite as much, quite as overtly, although they still really do take their parents' input and college age too. So, but but asking the permission to share, hey, I have a perspective on that, um, is respectful, and it's kind of the transition process of recognizing you as an adult and thinking of you of like, okay, how do I talk to my friends? I don't just like usually share advice with my friends. <laughs> usually, I have you know, it's like a little bit more ask, would they be interested in listening, kind of thing. Well, as expected. <laughs> 
I think those two answers together are like pretty beautiful and spot on because there's this like be curious, be open handed in your relationship with your child while taking it one day at a time. I think it's that we're here for today and I want to know you today quality that allows the curiosity to be curious and not interrogating because it like that that that's what takes it out of this like I have a bigger like you're a project I'm I'm working on or like some mm-hmm. ulterior motive it just be it those those the marriage of those two together become wanting to have a relationship with me right now you yeah. know I'm <clears throat> reminded of uh, something I lived through in my late 20s which you're not in yet but I as a parent I can maybe rely on this from my own experience and maybe people have heard this phrase before that my own parents got a heck of a lot smarter <laughs> when I turned 25. Yeah. And all of a sudden in the ages when I was 25 to 35, my parents got really smart again <laughs> because I found myself calling them all the time like, oh, this is happening in my life now. Right. And so uh, what I want to do is put that in context of the toddler. Uh-huh. When the toddler first starts walk or first starts journeying out, the toddler will only go a few steps and then turn and look back, right? At mom and dad. Are you watching me? Right. Yep. And then that toddler turns into the elementary kid who's on the playground and won't do the thing right. until you're watching. Are you watching me? Right. Because the, the child is always looking for that validation. Yeah. Well, what I have learned is that there is a window from ages, let's call it 16 to 22, sure. when whatever, yeah. you know, Give or take, change for, per person, right? Where the child says, not only do I not need to look, look back, but I don't even want them watching me for this window of time. I'm immortal. I don't need it. <laughs> I got this. It's a pretty brutal whatever. differentiation process. Yeah. And so for me not to take that personally, yeah, well, I guess that would be the, the overall context. I took it more personally with you than I did with your younger sisters. And that's what I wish I would tell my, what, what I wish. I'd known for you and what I would say to other parents is that's what I'm talking about. I'm saying one day at a time because that child will get a lot smarter about you again later and it's fine, right? Yeah, you know? which, absolutely. Which as a person coming up on 25 in two months, that is exactly <laughs> how I feel. And it's very... Right, yeah. Which... Yeah, I think that's maybe like a beautiful closing statement as a as a happy Father's Day and an encouragement to moms and dads going through this timeline is that like in most ways your your daughter or son's really opinion of you in their college years has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them because you mm. are just as wise as you have always been and you're just as intentional as you've always been. But it's going to take and me... And make just as many mistakes as I always have as, as well, always right? Have, you know, you're, like, you're it's, it's a very all, flawed person as the we same all person, are. Yeah. But me coming just beginning the second half of my 20s, my ability to to respect you and come to you with questions and like in that sense, like think of you as really smart again, has, it has everything to do with me feeling comfortable enough in my own skin to come back to you and feel like I can have my own footing and, and create this relationship collaboratively much more than it has to do with who you are. Yeah, you know, we, we always would say, like, I hope we can just be friends as grownups together. And that's pretty much impossible, I think, until we get to this stasis, right? Yeah. I think so, I, I there was like a while when I kind of like looked at both of you like, why can't you be friends with me yet? When it really had <laughs> far more to do with my inability <laughs> to be at your level than your ability to be at my level. But again, like there's no saying that to a 18 or 20 year old that just is like a one day at a time tenacity I'm going to sit here with you now and count that as an honor and keep keep learning each other you know I would say that w- what I had to learn to do I know you said in closing but I have to say this um, <laughs> for for me and and for your mom and me is realize and I'll say this in a way that hopefully doesn't sound too um, harsh but the reality of the statement is that I had to realize that you know when I married your mom it wasn't so that we would have kids that having kids became one of the most important things in our lives for a long time. 
well, I didn't marry, I didn't ask her to marry me by saying, would you marry me? Would you be my wife? Because I need you to have my children. <laughs> you know, in fact, we, we actually made a, a, a plan <laughs> for the first few years of our marriage of how we would live our lives together. And we said no kids for the first five years. Let's just get going in our lives together. And now to be on the other side of the raising part, mm. what what I realized is as I let go of my kids and watch them make their own mistakes was that my opportunity is to go back to your mom and say, you know, you're all I got. This is, we started this to be with each other. Can we learn how to just be with each other again yeah. without the kids in the middle of everything? It's a big deal. And of course, a lot of marriages struggle through that when they go through the empty nest situation. And what I've had to learn is really almost to say verbally to your mom, like, you're all I got. You know, our kids are going to go off and do things and they're going to make choices and they may or may not be a big part of our life or not, but I can't chase them. We're, it's it's got to be about our marriage. Can we double down on that? And 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 really working on our marriage in the past, even you know, three or four years, as a this is a whole different. It's like we're different people now, right? So we have to learn how to do this in a different way. But for me, the the thing that helped me in that was that idea. Yeah. That, Wait a second. When we even got started on this twenty eight years ago, it wasn't so that we just would have kids. So right. maybe I just let that idea go. And there may be people who feel like that's sounds harsh but you know but that's i think your your version of the differentiation process which is the the point is that it is does it is for both people there's obviously a lot of differentiation on my side as i learned how to become an adult but i think that sounds like your version of that to say you know what i can't be codependent on them either you know the best relationships are when we each feel like we can stand on our own two feet so your dad is going to learn how to swing dance, oh. the Lindy Hop, and I get to be exposed to the most random YouTube channels um, ever all time. imaginable. That's right. So yeah. just and um, that is in essence a good marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so tell our adoring audience what is some rapid fire questions. What what do you want for Father's Day, Rick? Rick oh my gosh, for Father's Day, you're catching me off guard on that one. <laughs> like to know the answer of, i would say a, a fresh roasted um whole bean pound of pete's coffee yeah, goes a long way on, right. on father's day for sure all right and yeah. what is what is your favorite youtube that you're watching right now my favorite youtube well i, I would two come to mind uh, the first one is a food review channel out of england called rate my takeaway or as he says it rate my takeaway mm-hmm. by this really super sweet guy named danny malin and um it is just so much fun to watch him roll up to a take out food joint and order everything they have in the menu and then try it for you. Yeah. And his banter is just hilarious. Just and I've shared some of those yeah. with you. I love it. What's your other one? My other one is by a guy named Rick Beato and it's called What Makes This Song Great? Mm. And he is based in Atlanta. He's got a couple of million subscribers and he will break, he's breaking down like the top 100 pop rock songs of all time. And he breaks them down track by track. So, you know, as an old music guy, it lets you totally nerd out yeah, 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 on yeah. all the the musicology between all the tracks and Love those things. how so-and-so put all the tracks together. Yeah. What makes this song great? So good. In in that, is there any music that you're loving listening to right now? Well, you know, I'm, I'm vastly between finding uh, fun new stuff and then you know go back to music i loved when i was a kid so um <laughs> i learned i learned a statistic somewhere i don't know exactly how true this is that the music you listen to like around age 14 
is the music that is like closest to your core that you'll always go back to is like the most formative. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So like the other yeah. day I listened to the entire Frampton Comes Alive album, <laughs> uh, beginning to end. Peter Frampton, one of the best guitarists and music writers of the 70s. Incredible. You know, yeah, exactly. And then um, Jacob Collier is uh, a yeah. brand new artist, right? You know, he's come on the scene in the past few years. So he's now under Quincy Jones and his stuff is just so mind blowing. Yeah, he's great. That's awesome. I listen to everything he does. Are you reading anything interesting right now? Yes. Um, again, going back to something that I always wanted to do. So I pulled out, we did some, we went to the beach, you know, a couple Saturdays ago and mm-hmm. I did some early summer beach reading. I actually grabbed Gulliver's Travels by mm. Jonathan Swift, which goes back to, he wrote that in around the year 1700. And a lot of people may have heard of Gulliver's Travels as the, the large man who ended up on a fantasy island of tiny people. And they captured him and I don't know that story. you know they're all the size of the borrowers okay <laughs> um but it wasn't written as a children's story it was written as a uh, mocking parody of the ego-driven crazy um uh hoops that the English court made you hop through in order to please the king oh, yeah. back in the day and it's kind of a commentary on what is it that drives the ego of our crazy people in in political power who create all of these weird machinations for how to honor them sure. and stay out of touch with people. Uh, also, for 1700, it's surprisingly easy to read. Oh, yeah. So. See, that's always a plus. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Dad, thanks for being a part of our podcast today. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Well, I've, I'm so just thrilled to be on your podcast, <laughs> you know, after, you know, watching you uh, literally, literally birth this thing together, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago and the commitment that you two have had to continue to foster not just the podcast, but to foster your relationship. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, it's been, I just say as the dad, uh, it's really, really a joy and super, super fun and very rewarding and heartwarming to, to watch and hear you on your podcast. And I will just say, that I have to listen to your podcast now in order to find out what the heck is going on between the two of you. Because I, I will ask you sometimes, what's up? And you're just like, well, Dad, we have to save it for the podcast so you can listen to it like everybody else. It's going to be raw material, you know? <laughs> so I'm glad to finally be on this side of it. <laughs> well, I love you both so much. And thank you for being intentional parents all the time and doing something like this with me. We love you, Ingrid. Thanks, Ingrid. Uh, great time to be here with you and your beautiful mom. Happy Father's Have a good Day. Week. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hi Mom, Let's Talk. If you liked hanging out with us, please rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback and your support. You can find more relationship tools on our website, HiMomPodcast.com. If you'd like to suggest a topic or share your own story, you can DM us on Instagram at HiMomPodcast or write us through our website. Special thanks to Sienna Ryder for editing our podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>